It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. We've got blogs. Well, that's it. Got the map of the week. Adventures in art. Le Chadron Comatique. Oui, oui. It's the Thought Eater, Thought Eater, Thought Eater RPG Show. It's the Thought Eater RPG Show. Welcome to the Thought Eater Thought Pass. <laughs> Hi, Froth. Gordon Sinchman here. Just a quick message to say I'm glad to hear you back on the mic. Um, that's it. Uh, cheers, fella. Bye. What is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. We are back around to Wednesday. That means a new Hump Day RPG show, weekly show where I talk about blogs, zines, other DIY RPG stuff that caught my eye over the week, and much more. Maps, free stuff, whatever else. Got a nice welcome back there from Goblin's Henchman. Appreciate that very much. Goblin's Henchman, of course, at goblinshenchman.wordpress.com, as well as the Goblin's Henchman podcast. Bunch of stuff on drive through and everything else. So appreciate the welcome back. Thank you very much. We've got a big show today. I'm very excited. As I uh, mentioned, when I uh, came back from the hiatus, I, I wanted to combine some of the stuff I was doing on a zine-based show with the blog-based show kind of do a chocolate and peanut butter sort of deal. And one of the things I was doing on the zine show that I was really enjoying was talking to some different creators and having some interviews. And so I've got an interview conversation I had with Logan Dean of the company RPG, a zine based RPG that was funded during last year's zine quest. And I wanted to do something. I wanted to talk to Logan, not just because the game's cool, but also because with ZineQuest right around the corner, I thought I could ask some questions about the Kickstarter process and stuff like that, and people might find it interesting, especially if you're preparing for ZineQuest 3 here in February. So, got that coming up, along with all the rest of the usual stuff. Keep in mind, all the links that I talk about on today's show are over at the Thought Eater blog. Just Google for that, and while you're at it, slap it on your blog roll. But before we go any further, I got a few call-ins about some of the recent topics, so we're going to check those out. First, we got Larry Hamilton from Follow Me and Die. Hey, Froth, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Uh, partway through your home day Garama for today, and you mentioned something about a name for your dice tower. Uh, well, Tower of Destiny, Tower of Fortune, something along those lines. Uh if I come up with something else, I'll let you know. Thank you, as always, for listening and your support, Larry. I appreciate it. And your ideas are much more epic and kind of, you know, grandiose than uh, than my names. I still have not named my Dice Tower. It has not gotten that much use over the year. Uh, most of my gaming has been online. And I have done some gaming with the family, but... Some of the games we played, I'm finding the Dice Tower is not as much fun if you're the GM. Like Star Wars, there's so much rolling, opposed rolls, and everything else that with that game, if I'm GMing it, I prefer not to use the Dice Tower. I prefer just a quick handful of dice, roll it, keep it moving. 
but my names were much more crude, uh, like Sheena, you know, from like a Ramon song, and also thought about Tila from the Masters of the Universe, but uh, not crude necessarily, just just like I say, not as not as epic as some of what you're thinking. Of. So now I've got to rethink it. So thanks for that, Larry. I've got to rethink it, rethink my approach completely. So last week for the final topic, uh, amongst other things, I was talking about this Grognardia post uh, where I was kind of like the polar opposite of everything that was, was in the post. Uh, there, James, who writes for Grognardia, was talking about preferring long-term campaigns to, to shorter games, um, not wanting to own any gaming items that they're not going to use, you know, not being for collecting, only wanting, you know, kind of a utilitarian sort of stance to it that's completely opposite of me. And anyway, I got a, a few interesting call-ins on this. First, from a, from a new listener, new call-in, Jim Kang. Take it away, Jim. Hey, I'm a new listener. My name is Jim. I heard about your podcast from Evelyn Moreau's blog. Uh, I haven't really thought much about role-playing games since the start of the pandemic, uh, so it was pretty refreshing to hear your podcast. About the, the topic at the end, uh, I just wanted to say that, yeah, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, you know, getting uh, an RPG resource just for the sake of... Um, you know, enjoying as it is and not playing it. I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily an act of consumerism. I just want to bring up that uh, early classical music was intended to serve a religious purpose, and the enjoyment of it for its like own aesthetic properties was discouraged. But today, we think of we find that way of enjoying classical music to be legit, and it's the main way that it's enjoyed. Um, so you can apply that to RPG materials. Jim, thank you so much for listening, and also thanks for joining in the conversation and sending in a comment. I really appreciate that, and I think you make a fine point there with the classical music, you know, that you can enjoy things for reasons that uh, they're not necessarily designed or their original intent was not for them to be enjoyed that way. Um, it made me think about different gaming materials. Certainly nowadays, so, so many things have such creative layout and such amazing artwork that there are plenty of products uh, that I can see just being enjoyed simply on the basis of, of the art uh, with no intention to ever play it. Um, and then I also thought about, I've mentioned many times one of my favorite games, if not my favorite game, is Call of Cthulhu. And so many of the scenarios in the 80s were so good that I will read them just for literature. I might may never run them. Um, I don't read them with an, with an intent to prep for a game with them. I just read them because I really like them, and I like seeing how the mysteries are set up, even though I know what's going to happen. I like seeing how you can set up mysteries with different clues and everything else. And they're just really creative and inventive. So I like reading them uh, more than I like reading most books. So, so yeah. So anyway, great call. I really appreciate that and appreciate you listening. I got a call from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast uh, on the same final topic from last week. Let's check it out. Hey, Froth. Jason here. Funny enough, the same morning you released 173, I released my latest episode. I think it's 158. Anyway, 
I talked about campaigns versus one-shots in that episode. So really quickly, collecting versus only owning what you play, collecting without a doubt. My perfect situation, like I talked about in my episode, would probably be to have, you know, two different groups or maybe the same group and playing two different games. So maybe bi-weekly. So one week you play a campaign game that goes for years. And the other week you're playing one-shots and shorter campaigns to get to experience all the different genres. So you can do Shadow the Demon Lord for 11 episodes. You can do a one-shot sci-fi game. You can do a western game. You can do a horror game. That way you're getting campaigns and one-shots in there. So that's my, my two cents. Jason there from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast podcast. Uh, again, Jason's forgotten more about RPGs than I'll ever learn. And Jason, I need to catch up on your podcast because I know you had, I saw you mention that you had a noir-themed episode recently that sounded like something right up my alley. So I need to check that out. But I agree with everything you said. I, I like to collect. Um, and... Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned a perfect world scenario where you can alternate between a campaign and play the shorter form stuff. And that kind of touched on, there are so many great games that I want to get to play. <laughs> you know, if I'm playing something for five years and that's all I'm playing, there's a lot of awesome games piling up that I'm not going to get to experience. So that, that, that was one of the reasons I put out there that, that I want to, uh, that, I, that I'm not much for, you know, an endless campaign. And the other thing too, is even if I did play that long-term campaign, I, I, I don't want to play the same character for the whole time, you know, and that's where lethality is important, not just for threat of death. As I heard uh, Pete Jones talking about over at dragons are real. I was listening to Pete's new podcast talking about the knave game and Pete touched on, you know, there needs to be a threat of death to kind of give the game meaning, give it drama. Otherwise, you're just kind of sitting around telling a story, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But it, it lacks that urgency and that, uh, you know, that the threat of death can give a game. But I also want the threat of death simply because maybe I've just got a weak, you know, short attention span. But even my most, the, the, my most favorite characters I've ever come up with, I don't want to play them for years. I really don't. And, uh, and I, you know, I've got a character I love right now. Like I mentioned, I got to throw them in the lava. I got to do something with them. But I, I can't, not an, I can't do another year of them. I can't. Um, anyway, thanks for the call. And I got one more call from Jason, but on a slightly different topic. Last Friday, I did, you know, on Wednesdays, I do the hump day show. It's kind of like a longer show, jam packed full of stuff. On Fridays, I do a show five minute Fridays where it's just usually right. Sometimes I go a little over, but. I try to just keep it short and sweet on a topic. And uh, last week I was talking about the top 10 most anticipated RPGs for 2021, according to users of the uh, N-World forum, maybe the largest RPG forum there is. And Jason gave me a call in on that too. So let's listen to that. Hey, Froth, Jason here. Calling in on your 5-Minute Friday. You're knocking it out of the park, my friend. Great job. So some real quick comments. Dune, due to an NDA, I can't comment on that game, but I will say I'm not going to buy it when it comes out. It does cover all the books, I'm pretty sure, So when you asked about lore. The 
Twilight 2000, we played back in the day, enjoyed it back in the day. Also played Dark Conspiracy, which used the same system back in the day. I'm not a big fan of Free League's mechanics, so I'm probably going to skip that one. The One Ring, I've never played. I'd like to, though. Pendragon, I just bought the 5.2 earlier this year, so but I'll eventually buy the 6th edition, I'm sure. The Rivers of London looks interesting. Pathfinder for Savage Worlds is interesting. I, I like Pathfinder 1. I like Savage Worlds. I'm curious to see how that's accepted. I'll probably buy it after the fact, to be honest. And really, that's all the comments I have. Keep up the great job, my friend. Again, Jason there from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And if you can't tell, he's talking about a lot of the games that were on this top 10 list. So if, if you want to go back and, and check that episode out, like I say, it's only around five minutes long if you want to hear some of the other games that, that were mentioned. But uh, the NDA with Dune intriguing jason you're cloaked in mystery today what's that all about i'll have to wait and find out were you a play tester or whatever else on dune and uh also a uh, good call on the dark conspiracy uh mechanics sharing mechanics with uh, the the original twilight 2000 i was not aware of that never played or i've never even seen a copy of dark conspiracy but you got me down the Wikipedia rabbit hole uh, reading about that game. Sounds really interesting. So, so yeah. So, thanks for that. All right. So, we are going to get started with some maps first. And then we're going to move on to Zine Club with special guest Logan Dean. But before we go any further, just want to mention again, we are in the middle of the froth drive. Yep. It's just like uh, NPR or... Your, your local public broadcasting station, I'm trying to push the Patreon. It fell apart quite a bit when I was on my hiatus. Less than four cents a day to support the Thought Eater podcast and blog. Can you believe it? Yes, just a dollar a month. Get you all this and more. Patreon.com forward slash Thought Eater. Anyway, that's all I got. And thank you, uh, everyone, for the call-ins. Makes the show better to hear from you all. Let's get started on some maps. Maps of the week. All right. I usually like to start with the maps because cartographers don't get enough love. And I like to give them some shine on the Hump Day RPG show. And so we're starting over. This is Thomas Denmark's blog, dungeoneering.blogspot.com. If you're not familiar with, with Thomas Denmark's work, they do a lot of different old school games on a lot of different subjects under the Night Owl Workshop label, including Warriors of the Red Planet, which is uh, has like a John Carter, Barsoom, Mars theme to it. And anyway, they posted a, a post-adventure design diary mapping Barsoom. And they were talking about, you know, the original maps of Mars and Barsoom that you know, were obviously inaccurate because there was no actual, you know, photography and mapped out geography of Mars at that time. And they're talking about how some of the maps are better than others, but they, they found one from Punch Magazine in 1956 uh, that was like their favorite one that they found. And I really like it too. You'll have to go over to the Thought Eater blog, check it out, and then you can link over to, to Thomas's site, check out some of the stuff Thomas does. Uh, it's, a lot of it's really, really good. But anyway, just a cool uh, map of Mars, something unusual you don't see every day. So be sure and check that out over at dungeoneering.blogspot.com. 
Another thing that I noticed, Chris Brown was posting over at polaroidsandpolarbears.co.uk. Watsi releases free Dragonlance maps. Maybe that I was talking last week about how the Dragonlance novels are apparently a go. They've been surveying people about what settings they'd like to see for, for a couple years now. Everything points to Dragonlance being a new setting for 5e uh, coming out, including this. The World of Kryn Trail Map. This is an old second edition product. Uh, and it's available to be downloaded for free now over at drive-thru. So you can download, I don't know who out there is, is doing much with Dragonlance these days. But they're, you know, cool maps and stuff. And just, a, you know, an old product that's available for free. So anyway, Watsi releases the free Dragonlance maps. Maybe you'll have them ready for when they release a Dragonlance setting, which seems increasingly likely. And then finally on the maps, I saw this one over at Reddit. I was like, whoa, hello, stop the presses. What you've got is this bird's eye view of a dwarf fortress entrance with cool like pink purplish lights and everything else. Well, what's cool about what the cartographer did here is there's not only the bird's eye, you know, standard battle map view, but there's also an isometric view of the same map. And having both next to each other is so good for players. How great is that? Because not only can you see, you know, the battle map view, but you also get a great idea of what the actual layout is and what it actually looks like by, by being able to see the isometric right next to it. Turns out this cartographer does their work over at patreon.com forward slash Nova Worlds. The Nova Worlds Patreon creating 3d maps for tabletop or role-playing games and you can just support the maps tier even at a dollar per map pack so anyway um lots of cool stuff here being able to see the top-down view with the isometric view is very cool something i you don't really see that often so be sure and go and check that out if you like it support them zine club All right, so I am thrilled to have joining the show today the creator of the zine-based RPG, The Company, which was successfully funded as part of last year's Zine Quest 2, Logan Dean. Welcome to the club. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I am excited to have you on because uh, with Zine Quest coming up, I know that you're getting ready to kickstart a new supplement to the game that you did last year that I uh, backed and really enjoyed. And we're going to get into all of that. But what I wanted to ask you first, I've had a number of different zine creators on the program, uh, Nate Tremay, Evelyn Moreau, just to name a couple of them. And I always ask the first, you know, the first thing I always ask has to do with your first exposure to zines. Do you remember what the first zines you were aware of were and were they gaming related or something else? Oh, no, definitely not gaming related. Um, I, I'm in Chicago, so, you know, we have a, a pretty healthy art scene, comedy scene, uh, illustrator scene. And um, I've been going to Chicago comics since I moved here in 2006. So like almost 15 years now. Um, and that would probably be the first place I ever saw zines because they do zine consignment from uh, local artists and writers and illustrators. So I would just I used to do inventory for them 
to be able to pay for comics when I was in college. So I would just thumb through all of those like photo, like Xeroxed zines and risographed zines. And then like, I never, I, I never got into making them. <laughs> like that's the thing is I just never got into it until uh, last year. Nice. So the company was your first zine then, I guess, or? Yeah, that's the first one. Um, I've contributed to like, uh, I've illustrated for like, comedy zines before um and like art zines but i've never uh i've never made a a a game zine before wow so uh last year you kick-started the company rpg for zine quest and you know it's a full rpg and two books you know two different zines why don't you just describe, just uh, just kind of give a brief description of what that is so people understand a little bit about what the game is all about. Sure. Uh, it's a survival horror game um, based around the idea that you're employees for a faceless organization. Uh, I was watching Chernobyl, the HBO series, a couple of years ago, and it kind of stuck in my head. Uh, like, what would this look like as a game? Um, kind of like a Half-Life uh resident evil they have the umbrella like troops that they send in what does it look like from that side and uh what do those people go through day to day like what's their job look like so that kind of took off from there um the adventure that's in the book the eurydice facility incident um actually started off as a mothership uh module so i had play tested it at gen con as a mothership module uh and a it just kind of evolved into its own thing in about 2019 over to winter 2020. I kind of developed it into a whole game. Yeah, it is kind of in the same, I don't know, ballpark as something like mothership, given the the emphasis kind of on like corporate horror. One of the things that made me jump on it is I love the production design, the, the zines are kind of made to look like, you know, the covers look like some kind of dystopian corporate nightmare handbook <laughs> sort of thing, like office space in hell or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I have a, I have a, I have a love for sixties, seventies, eighties graphic design. Uh, just that, that industrial feel. Um, I love Ikea, like uh, instruction manuals. Um, just because it's so utile uh you're 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 presenting information in a way that is uh very basic but can convey everything across and i i wanted to do that with the book and give it a very uniform feel um there's a couple of like design philosophies i kind of took into it like i really like brutalist architecture so there's a lot of clean lines and angles in there to kind of convey the structure um subtly and then uh, I don't know if you got, did you get physical books? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, sourcing the paper on that was a lot of fun. Um, the actual stock we, I used for the, for the innards is a, is like a butcher type paper, which I thought was really fun. Um, I wanted to make the best like tactile experience I could with those books. And I think they came out really nice. Well, I have to agree. I think they were very successful and I'm wondering I mean, you've mentioned a few of your influences already on 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 the design, but I, I was wondering if, if if any of it kind of was influenced by any kind of job you've actually held. Yeah, <laughs> you know, some um, nightmarish job. 
I worked, uh, I actually just switched jobs, which is really interesting. Uh, I worked at a museum for 10 years, uh, 11 years, uh, since 2009 up until last summer, um, making audio guides and educational materials in a museum for a, a contracting company. And there was so much bureaucracy and like back and forth with dealing with museums and dealing with my company that I just started to like develop this idea as a almost as a like a rebellious act uh, channeling all of my uh, my frustration with my, my employer into this type of faceless organization. Um, well, that makes sense because uh, it shows and Dutani and uh, the um, whatever that the Tyrell company and Blade Runner um, like those those big pop culture references also kind of float to the top. And what made you want to do it in a zine format? Was that ever a question or? As opposed to maybe like a larger book or anything like that. Sorry, my discord is cutting out in and out a little bit. It's okay. I was just asking uh, what made you um, decide to present the game in a zine format? Oh, it's small. <laughs> um, I, I, so I, I made a couple other games um, that are very small. I made one called What a Terrible Night that is a pamphlet. Uh, and I made one called The Council, which is just like a one-page strategy game. And I have this love with these small, fragile games that aren't very heavy rules-wise, but can be very deep if you have a group that puts a lot of imagination into them. So... Um, I never wanted to make anything too bloated. I wanted to make it pretty slim and I wanted to make it, you know, like one person just needs to read. That's why it's split into two books. So you can sit at the table and the person running the game can flip through the rules real quick and hand everybody else the other book. They can make their characters and you can just kind of go. Um, that, yeah, I really like that you did, did it that way. Yeah, that really interests me um, as somebody who I did a lot of uh organized play i used to do organized play for chaosium um and uh cards against humanity back in the day and so like learning how to run tables with people who haven't played becomes kind of a a trick you you got to get everybody onboarded with the rules really fast and playing and you only have a set amount of time to finish the game so um, you get kind of into a shorthand of how to explain stuff and how to get people playing really fast and I wanted to onboard that into a rule set um, without having to have somebody there telling you every step of the way, this is what you do. Um, and now in hindsight, there's a couple of things, you know, I'd like to clean up in the game if we ever do a second edition or something. But that's for way down the line. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to come with, you know, play, you know, extensive. Play. I mean, even just regular play testing is not going to reveal everything. You got to kind of live with the game for a little while before you start noticing things like that. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, like the other caveat is uh, I didn't want to make a big hardcover book because uh, I was going to make it all myself. So because it was my first scene, I wanted to do every step to understand the process. So I made the whole thing by hand. I didn't send it to a printer. I printed every page off of a printer. I went and risographed every cover. I folded it. I stapled it. I cut it. I packaged it. I sent it every step I did on my own. So uh, that was the other reason they were small, because I didn't want to do all of that work. 
Oh, that that is a lot of work, and we're going to kind of get into that side of things in a minute. But why don't you tell us about the the company supplement that you're going to be doing for this year? Oh man, um, so this is the book I wanted to do, like that, that I've always wanted to do, um, because it's it doesn't have I didn't have to write the rules. <laughs> that was really great. Uh, this is a it's a book called the conflict resolution guidelines it's a full supplement so it has new rules uh a new career class for players the executive which is really fun um it ended up getting cut out of the last book for space but i really like it it kind of breaks the game in a, in a fun way and then uh, i got to hire some of my friends to write missions which was really great um got eli kurtz in there who did oligarchy last year He's a good friend, uh, Jen Ducharme, who's one of my my oldest friends. I got to throw her some work because uh, she had a really cool idea. Alexander Mitchell is on this book writing and doing the illustration, which is really cool. Alex is my partner um, in the in the the line. He does all of the uh, illustration because the style is just so, so perfect. And then uh, who else is on this book? Finn Coe, who's a local Chicago game designer, did a terrifying mission on a cruise ship with a bunch of clones uh jared mason who's a local designer as well did a train one and then uh and we have garen reedy who's the gm for neo scum the actual play podcast who's an old friend of mine who made the like this weird like 60s cia acid ops like island assault thing that's just so bonkers so, oh, the missions sound awesome i can't <laughs> i can't wait yeah they're really cool they're really eclectic um and it's going to I I I really gravitated towards the design aspect more while designing the original books than the I, I started out as a writer, but I really grasped the concepts of design and took to it really, really quickly. So I I'm just excited to do the layout on this one and then little bits of writing here and there and let them kind of take it because the line is meant to be, you know, expanded on by other people. Right. Like you give people your art for them to do stuff with so it's been really exciting well you know you've talked a little bit about how you handled everything yourself and um, with with the new zine quest coming out obviously you start to see a lot of chatter people getting a little anxious about doing it you know a lot of people want to participate but maybe never having done anything with crowdfunding or anything before as this was your first experience doing not only a zine, but also I assume using Kickstarter, what were some of the things that, uh, you know, if you could give people advice about a crowdfunding campaign, what were some of the things that you experienced with doing it that you might share with others? Oh yeah. I mean, I learned a lot. Um, always double check all any, any costs and then plan for, the worst so you know always add a buffer if you have extra money and don't need it that's great it's a lot better than <laughs> needing extra money and not having it um always over overestimate your shipping after last year your shipping is a nightmare right now i work in logistics now and it is a it, it it's always better to overshoot your shipping um because you don't know where it's going to be when you fulfill definitely take a look at international shipping if i like stamps.com it works really well <laughs> i don't know people tend to give it some uh attitude but i think it's good 
charge well, more than you think for your product. <laughs> like a lot of people will charge $5 for a PDF. I'm of the mind they should be 10. If you think whatever you think it's worth, it's worth at least $5 more. Well, that is all good advice. I know a lot of people kind of fall down with the shipping piece. So, um, and you oh, know, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's already enough pressure with, uh, is this going to fund or am I going to finish it? Are people going to like it and all that kind of stuff. And then you don't want to get to the finish line and then not make anything on it or actually be spending your own money on the shipping. So, and it's, I, I always think it's good to run test, run it in your mind, uh, beforehand, like, okay, this is each step of the way, have a benchmark, have dates. Um, I mean, it's a project, it's a big project and you should, any project manager will tell you, you need to have all this stuff ready before you even kick off. So, you know, um, it's a lot of work, but once it starts going, it's, you can't stop it. And it just kind of like finishes and you're left holding the bag <laughs> and it's very, uh, it's very scary, but it's also very fulfilling. I think finishing up the Kickstarter last summer and get everybody their books was probably one of the more most rewarding experiences I've ever had. Well, I love the game and we're all looking forward to the next, um, to, to the, to the new supplement. And I'm assuming you're going to make the, the original game available as part of the Kickstarter. I am not. Um, oh, really? So the game, I made them all by myself and I want to make sure I have time to produce the books I'm offering. Uh, because I do make them by myself. I have stock of the old book left over. It's available on the itch if people. Would okay. Like. Okay. So people can purchase it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just not going to tack another run on to this Kickstarter because uh, I don't want to put anything in the way of jeopardizing fulfilling that book. I understand that. As long as it's available, you know, people are going to want to have the game, obviously. Yeah. So, absolutely. Well, and if we can, you know, I'd love to do another run, uh, a print run. But they, I mean, there's stock now. People can buy it if they want it. Well, I highly recommend it. It's uh, like I say, it's it's cool from so many angles, not just the concept and everything, but also the 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 production design and everything else. It's a uh, really cohesive, and uh, so congratulations on that. Thank you. So I always ask the, the same three questions at the end of each of these zine interviews, like the questions three. So are you ready for the questions three? You there? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So number I am, one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> number one, what makes zines so magical? Oh, I love this low cost, high reward uh, model of a zine. Um, I just got the the Morkborg Ferratory zine, and there's it was. I think I paid fifteen bucks for that, and there's probably two hundred dollars worth of content in that thing, and it's gorgeous. And there's something very. You cut out a little bit. You still there? Logan? Yeah, sorry. My it's sister. all right. 
I, I use Discord right. for work. Discord is what it is. <laughs> uh, you said the there's something very, and I was at the edge of my seat, so that's where it, I lost it's, you. It's very underground. Like it just feels very uh, DIY, and it's got this very punk attitude towards it, like towards design um, that I think is ingrained in the whole history of zines, right? Like back to when it was people dishing poetry and art. Um, it it takes it. I feel like it's it's people taking the hobby and molding it on a on a ground level into what it'll become in the future, which is really cool. So we talked a little bit about the Kickstarter advice and stuff like that, but what just strictly speaking about zines, what is something that you wish you knew? that you know now that you wish you knew when you started working on a zine? Oh, so this is a great question because I don't often think in hindsight enough. Um, I wish I knew more about line, like uh, editing down the line with for a publication like this. Um, we went through two editors and still ended up with a bunch of mistakes in the in the copy. Uh, and that's on me for not doing a, another pass. Uh, and I learned like I hire two double blind editors. But uh, yeah, just don't don't uh, don't skimp on the editing process. I think um, the edit was the books I tend to enjoy have a very thorough editing process that like, I, I guess I took for granted on that first book and won't be taking for granted on this one. So I'm excited to, to work with some new people in that aspect. Okay. And finally, do you have a favorite zine? Oh man. Um, I'm staring at a pile of zines right now because we're getting ready to move and I just pulled them all out. And I was like, how the hell am I supposed to move these? Um, gently, ever so gently. Ever so gently. <laughs> and, um, the Mothership line is so good. Like, they, every time they put out a new zine, it is like the, the Gradient Descent zine is on another level yeah. of design. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Uh, I learned so much from, uh, from Player Survival Guide and uh, Dead Planet, and Pound of Flesh is just like gorgeous. I'd, I'd say that line is probably my, my favorite. Um, it's so then, weird because you look at it with like just a glance and it's like, what is this mess? Yeah. But it's not a mess. <laughs> you know? And, and I blame it. I blame it uh, for getting me into it. <laughs> like it was, it was that zine at uh, Gen Con 2019 or 2018 that I really, uh, I, I really started to think outside of the, mainstream kind of hardcover big glossy rpg like mindset um stuff like that and silent titans and like the stuff that uh uh swordfish islands is doing the stuff that nature may is doing tunnel goons uh what what's he got uh parole that stuff is so parole cool. is just brilliant um yeah like the, there's there's people working right now that are that are making like really interesting stuff uh that's and it's fun and like it it feels like a community even though we all live everywhere in the world and uh it's interesting um but yeah i'd, I'd probably say the 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 ms line was hugely influential 
in coming up. I mean, like I said, like we both kind of noticed earlier is like the, the company is like, it's sort of like the way Delta green is to call Cthulhu. Like I, we kind of liken it to that. Um, when I was talking to Sean McCoy about it at Gen Con a couple of years ago, we had kind of settled on that type of relationship, which I thought was really interesting because um, these types of things tend to breed tangential projects that live very harmoniously together, which is really cool. Well, Logan, I am so thrilled that you came on the program today and uh, I'm looking forward to the new, the company RPG release for Zine Quest 3. So thank you very much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. This was really fun. All right. So thanks again to Logan for coming by, joining the Zine Club and talking to us about that game. The company is excellent, so you all should definitely check that out and be on the lookout for the new supplement getting ready to launch. So I really appreciate Logan coming by and, and talking with us. So be sure and look for that other things you need to look at ben lawrence blogs over at mazerian'sgarden.blogspot.com and i noticed uh i've been waiting on issue three of through alton's door uh this is ben's um zine there's been there's been two issues so far and they've both sold out really quick luckily i'm on the the mail you know i was on the mailing list for these and was able to you know get my grubby little hands on them but over at, at Missourian's Garden, Ben was blogging through Alton's Door does Zine Quest 3. So issue 3, which looks like it's going to be a double issue, uh, is, is going to be launched for Zine Quest 3. Something to definitely watch for because apparently they're going to um, get 1 and 2 reprinted. Let me not get everybody's hopes up. I, I'm, I'm almost sure I read that. Yes, they're going to be reprinting issue 1 and 2. For, for the Kickstarter as well. So this is your best chance to get a hold of all three. If you want to know more about what these zines are all about, I happen to notice this week as well, Zao uh, Seeds, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Zao Seeds blog, Seed of Worlds, seedofworlds.blogspot.com. They do a quick review of Through Olton's Door 1 and 2, so you know what you're looking at. So something to start to get hyped up about it's not even february yet and already i'm spending money you know mentally spending the money so uh ben, I'll, you know i'm gonna be back in that can't wait so and then the other last thing i got for zine club today uh geek native over geeknative.com uh andrew girdwood over there put up a post about this arcadia dnd 5e zine that i've been reading a lot about uh, Matt Colville, who kind of parlayed really popular YouTube advice videos and stuff into a very successful company, MCDM. I forget the name, Strongholds and something. Maybe it's Strongholds and Followers. They had a huge Kickstarter for a 5e book, and now they do streaming games and everything else. Well, now they're launching a 5e zine called Arcadia. Um, and I've been seeing just a lot of people talking about this, uh, and everything else. So I thought I'd put up an art, uh, you know, an article about that so you can get an idea of what it's all about. I have not picked it up. Uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it's great or not, but there's a lot of hype around it. So it seemed newsworthy. So I thought I'd put it there. Now I have seen a ton of other stuff, a lot of people posting, um, 
about uh, upcoming Zine Quest projects, and a lot of the stuff just looks amazing. I've seen a couple things like for Mothership that look really, really good. Some of the artwork is just tantalizing. So um, as stuff gets closer to launch and we kind of get a better idea of what's, uh, you know, what's coming out that first you know, the first week or so of, of February, I'll definitely be bringing up as much as I can uh, to, to to listeners out there. But I can go ahead and tell you, it is going to be dangerous. Remember what I told you about setting yourself a, a limit, you know? Uh, and remember what I said as well about stuff's not all going to come out the first day of February. There's going to be stuff throughout the month. So there are some hard choices ahead of all of us. Godspeed. Random tables. Some cool random table stuff this week to take a look at. We're starting over at the World of Eridu blog, worldoferidu.blogspot.com. This is Dale's blog. And I really enjoyed this post. Dale is talking about kind of like the, the gazetteer they're developing for this world and this city, a city of Haven. And they kind of show a layout that they're working on for one of the districts. And last week I was talking about, I've come up many times before, about world building through random tables and about how, you know, using random tables to convey information can be a lot more exciting um, as a GM, as a reader, as opposed to just walls and walls of text. And they've got this really interesting layout you'll have to go over the blog and take a look at. But it's got kind of a combination. You know, they talk about a small neighborhood of Gander Ridge, for example. They give a couple of sentences about it, and then they offer a couple of random tables. So, you, you know, you're getting random flavor. Or, you know, there's uh, another table that kind of describes like the wharf area, and you're rolling to, to, to see what the buildings look like. And let's roll on one of these. And they're just short little tables, but they're mixed out throughout the text for each little area of the neighborhood and everything. And I think it's really effective and really cool. Um, I'm probably not doing a great job of describing it, though, so that's why you'll have to go check it out. But, for example, yeah, the, this, it's a really weather-beaten building, and it's used for, um, for repairs and carpentry. And so by mixing in these random tables throughout the text, it... it it is it's just a much better i think more effective more fun and uh you know it kind of really more exciting way to to talk about this neighborhood and their setting um as opposed to just wall and wall of text because honestly i probably wouldn't read it you know what i mean i wouldn't wouldn't want to read it all it wouldn't be as i wouldn't even almost give it a chance to grab me you know you, there's so much setting stuff out there but seeing it laid out this way with random tables for each little area, uh, to me, it just makes the whole thing a lot more attractive. So um, probably something worth looking at for anybody that's um, uh, working on setting material or anything to take a look at, at what, what Dale's doing over here. So that's at worldoferidu.blogspot.com, talking about Shady Thicket, an area of the city of Haven. Now moving over to Random Table of the Week. Now this is a, a new blog to me. I just added it to my blog roll once I noticed it. Um, Random Table of the Week. Let's see if I can get somebody's name on here. Try to give everybody a shout. That's just from Random Table of the Week, so that's their, their moniker. But anyway, the idea here was climbing encounters, mishaps, and hazards. 
So you have your party make a climb check, whatever game you're running. They fail the check. And what do you say? Well, this gives you some things that you can actually say rather than trying to come up with something on the fly. Rather than just saying you fall to your death. Uh, D12 of these. So you fail the check. Uh, and you swing your hook up, planting it firmly over the next ledge. Quook, some small rocks and branches fall over your head. The remainders of the nest of a large bird you have smashed. You, a large bird nest. Oh, frack. Froth, let's try reading this one more time. <laughs> you swing your hook up, planting it firmly over the next ledge beyond sight. Quook, some small rocks and branches fall over your head. The remainders of the nest of a large bird you have just smashed. You see it taking flight above you, ready to dive straight down. So there you go. Instead of just failing the check, uh, you messed up some huge, hopefully not a rock, but some huge bird's nest, and now you're going to have an encounter where while you're all hanging on the side of a mountain. So it's got 12 of these. Some good ideas for things to do or roll randomly for the next time your players botch a climb check. Finally on the random tables over at DM David's blog, dmdavid.com uh, blog. I really enjoy reading. This is a great little collection, nine best collections of inspirational tables and lists to help DMs create and improvise. Now I saw DM David on Twitter asking people for, you know, what random table books they liked a couple weeks ago. And maybe that was partly doing some research for this, but what you have is just what it sounds like. A collection of nine books that are almost all just random tables and everything. Some of these I'm really familiar with. Uh, Richard LeBlanc's excellent D30 Sandbox Companion, <clears throat> as well as the Dungeon Dozen, uh, Tome of Adventure Design. But then there's a, there are quite a few that I'm not as familiar with, such as Eureka, 501 Adventure Plots to Inspire Game Masters, as well as, what was the other one I didn't know anything about? 650 fantasy city encounter seeds and plots. So anyway, um, if you're if you like me and you enjoy random tables and want to see some products that are almost exclusively you know focused on that, you might see some over here that you've never heard of before. So that is over at dmdavid.com, the nine best collections of inspirational tables and lists to help DMs create and improvise. Hump day blogorama. Ah, uh, the sweet, sweet blogs, uh, the sweet nectar, the ambrosia of the DIY gaming scene. Let us look at what caught my eye on the blogosphere. Starting over at Tim Knight's Hero Press blog, heropress2.blogspot.com, celebrating 14 years of Hero Press. Congratulations to you, Tim. Hero Press is an excellent blog. Uh, and 14 years. Wow. Time sure flies by hurtling towards the grave. Nah, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, 14 years. Congratulations. That is awesome. Here's the 14 more. Also over at Blackgate, the adventures in fantasy literature blog, blackgate.com. <clears throat> A lot of the times they're talking about fantasy books uh, other times they're reviewing games and stuff like that it's a combo literature and gaming site quite good blackgate.com this is Derek Kunskin 
And they're talking about Marvel's newest TV offering, WandaVision. And I had to comment on this. I know it's not maybe directly gaming related. Obviously, there's multiple Marvel games. But my wife and I watched the first two episodes of WandaVision, and it is awesome. It is great. Really, really, really funny. Uh, Very tongue-in-cheek. The first couple of episodes are kind of like a send-up of old, like, Leave it to Beaver and, and... father knows best and those kind of old shows but there's kind of like some kind of dark twisted thing going on underneath it it is really good if uh if you have the means and want to get disney plus not just for the mandalorian but this wandavision is a real winner we loved it i can't wait to see where they go with that so anyway i thought i'd just comment on that because it was fresh on my mind you can see a little bit more of that it's there's maybe slight spoilers over here so if you haven't watched them um very slight spoilers nothing too big but anyway it's great it gets the froth stamp of approval i'm sure marvel cares right uh anyway moving along king brackish blogs over at the brian house blog i'm enjoying this blog brianhouse.blogspot.com they're posting about uh, something else tv related a dungeon dungeons and dragons tv show no not the old 1983 cartoon but uh apparently Hasbro is going to, you know, they're not only trying to make this D&D movie, but they're also looking at a D&D TV show. Now, you may or may not be interested based on that, but apparently it's going to be written by the creator of John Wick, Derek Kolstad. Now, I can get into some John Wick. Love John Wick. I was completely surprised that first John Wick movie, how great it was. Like, oh my gosh, there's this whole like mythology and everything. It was just a great, great movie. Um, so now you've got the movie getting written by some of the folks that worked on the new Spider-Man. That was great. And this possible TV show sounds like it's in development with a John Wick creator uh, writing it. So, I mean, you've got some good talent there. I'm wondering, this made me think about it. It's like, how long is this stuff going to be in development? I know, I'm sure COVID sl- slowed everything down. But how much longer, you know, because we were talking about Dragonlance and everything, how much longer is 5th edition going to go? You know, I have to think it's over the hill. You know what I mean? So, and this is just what this all made me start thinking about. You know, say it takes another year or so for this program to come out. I'm sure there's going to be people playing D&D. Don't get me wrong. Uh, 5th edition is wildly popular. But what I was thinking about as it, as fifth edition kind of bloats itself out of existence and they kind of eventually look towards a sixth edition fifth edition brought so many players in new players that for a lot of them, it's going to be their first edition change. You know what I mean? Something a lot of us have gone through and edition changes are not always pretty. And you know, partly just because you bought all the books, you still like the game. You're not necessarily ready to move on to a new edition, everything. I know this is completely has nothing to do with the TV show, but this is where my mind went with it. So I just thought like, you know, it is a podcast. I thought I'd share my thoughts. So I was wondering how much longer fifth edition might have. I was also wondering, you know, how people are going to react to an edition change, uh, that are, are new players, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but anyway, um, so yeah, but, uh, some talent behind that Dungeons and Dragons from the John Wick creator. 
Gotta admit, it sounds pretty cool. Speaking of pretty cool, Land of Nod, John Stater's blog. You know, John Stater does not get enough credit uh, for all they do. In fact, talk about somebody that's probably one of the most unsung of the old school creators. John Stater needs more love. The whole Land of Nod zines and um, numerous games, Bloody Basic, Blood and Treasure, um, and, and many others. Anyway, John Stater is somebody that uh, that really deserves more recognition, in my opinion. They blog over at landofnod.blog. You know, we're talking about zines. I mean, Land of Nod, that's, that's probably one of the longest running and earliest of the old school zines. And it's, uh, and it's done really, you know, high, high quality, but anyway, they put up a post Dungeons and Dragons in 3d and they're taking a look at these old action figures for D and D. And now some of these is unbelievable. The pictures, uh, kind of hilarious. Um, so anyway, I didn't have any of these when I, when I was younger, I didn't have any of them. And I certainly didn't know the names of the characters like Bowmark. The Good Crusader, like a paladin, Bowmark. And Deeth, the Good Fighter. That's the picture I put up. It's got like a kind of ridiculous looking little orange mace, uh, or flail rather. And uh, yeah, Deeth. Not to be confused with teeth, but Deeth. Hawkler, the Ranger. So anyway, if you've never seen these old action figures, Stater's apparently got all of them. So some funny pictures to look back at. It might uh, tickle the nostalgia fantasy, uh, fancy of some of y'all that maybe had these. But anyway, if you haven't checked out uh, John Stater's Land of Nod stuff and some, some of the other games John's worked on, be sure and do that. Uh, really good stuff. Now I'm over at Prismatic Wasteland. Prismaticwasteland.com. Great post here. And I was looking for their name, and I believe they just go by Prismatic Wasteland when I tried to check. Um, but anyway, the post is how to run a mystery in tabletop role-playing games. And I was thinking about maybe trying to do a whole post on this. I love mysteries. I read Sherlock Holmes. I got all the collected Sherlock Holmes. I, you know, I already mentioned my love of Call of Cthulhu and stuff like that. I watch every mystery show that I can, especially great, you know, uh, British and European mystery shows. They always seem a little bit better than the ones over here in the States, except for Columbo, of course. Uh, I've been watching old Columbo, love Columbo. I want to do, the next time I get to play in like a Call of Cthulhu game, I want to somehow combine uh, uh, DI, what is it? Uh, DCI, Detective Chief Inspector Thursday from Endeavor with Columbo. <laughs> if anybody watches those shows and knows what I'm talking about, there's got to be some that way, some way to do that. Uh, careful as you go. Oh, by the way, uh, you know, my wife always tells me that I, uh, you know, that I, my wife's always complaining to me about, you know, there's got to be some way to combine the two personalities. Uh, anyway, I'm going to way off topic. There might be like one listener that knows what the hell I'm talking about at this point. But anyway, it's a great post about uh, setting up mysteries and everything because so many of these games, I, I try to buy and take a look at just about all of them. Uh, Baker Street, the old Sherlock Holmes game, 
Uh, what are some of the other ones I've picked up? Uh, I forget the name of one that I, another one I got recently. But there's all these. It's a really tough thing to do in an RPG to have a straight up mystery game, a detective game. It's just it, because you think about it, like things that maybe Sherlock Holmes would notice with their, their with their perception and everything. When you spell that out and read it to a player in a game or whatever, it becomes more obvious. It's not like they did any sleuthing. You told them what it was. Uh, likewise with something like Call of Cthulhu, you know, it's a, you know, they're, they might say, oh, well, I want to go to the library and try to find a clue. And then it's really just comes down to the, the, to the role they make. So again, there's no actual sleuthing being done. It's just a random chance based on, you know, a, a kind of broad decision. And some of these other games, they, they have other mechanics that are, it, it's just something that's really difficult, um, to make into a mechanic. Uh, what was the other example I was going to give? Oh, like Trail of Cthulhu. They, they sought to, the gumshoe system, which I really love, <clears throat> sought to take away the, the chance of missing an obvious clue just based on a dice roll. So you can, you have these skills that automatically work and that's one way to do it. And it just kind of pushes the story forward. But what that's doing is it's really eliminating the sleuthing it feels like you're doing and everything but there's no it's just whether you have that skill or not it's going to work so it's almost like it it's tacitly acknowledging that it's impossible to have a game that way right and there are some other games that are trying to I'm, i don't want to say impossible it's just difficult so anyway uh this goes into a lot of detail on their views on it. And I thought it thought it was a really great read. So if you want to read about how to run a mystery in tabletop RPGs over at Prismatic Wasteland, this is one of the favorite, my favorite posts that I saw this week. Plus I enjoyed the pulp art that they added into, yeah, added into it. All right, let's see what else I've got. Oh, just a couple of things to, just to wrap up the bloggerama section here. Uh, with COVID, it, it's iffy whether any in-person conventions are necessarily going to happen, but a lot are ramping up to prepare for online play. I saw Chase Carter over at dicebreaker.com talking about the digital RPG convention, virtual horror con running at the, uh, like mid February looks really cool so i got some information about you from that thank you to chase for that and then also at geeknative.com they put up a post rpg and tabletop convention news for 2021 and this has got uh, a calendar feature that's going to have you know get updated with uh with, with everything uh, as they find out about it so you know there'll be a lot of stuff online now some of y'all, maybe myself included, might prefer some of these online conventions to, um, you know, just the kind of mass of humanity, claustrophobia of tens of thousands of people crammed into, uh, you know, uh, a convention hall. I don't know. But uh, it certainly is, is much more accessible and you don't have to worry about hotel reservations and all that kind of thing. So... If you want to take a look at some of this information about some of the online cons coming up, be sure and check that out. Free stuff. I'm just going to bounce through the free stuff real quick. 
Starting over a new blog to me, it looked like they just started blogging recently. Really good looking blog, Thacko Tuesday, thackotuesday.wordpress.com. This is David's blog, and they put up a downloadable class for old school essentials and therefore BX, the juggler. Kind of cool. It reminds me of uh, kind of where some of Gygax's design was going uh, before they were kind of forced out towards the end of first edition. You know, you had uh, the acrobat and uh, a jester class was was planned. And so now you have the juggler. Check that out over at Thacko Tuesday. Then over at Clerics Wear Ringmail, CWR's blog, Clerics Wearing mail.blogspot.com they've got a free adventure up turntable bridge you can download a free pdf for that glenn seal aka monkey blood at monkeybloodesign.co.uk has a free game kill punk released in tentative unchecked unplay tested and half written format kill punk a one-page rpg check that out over at monkey blood design.co.uk again remember all these links are up at the thought of your blog make it handy dandy for you there is a cyberpunk red one shot that i spotted a free release of over at on reddit cyberpunk red one shot homecoming free download free pdf 23 page adventure i saw that cyberpunk red was one of the most popular downloads all of last year on drive through so a lot of people looking at that if that includes you, check out this free adventure. This was really cool. The Writer's Cthulhu blog, writerscthulhu.com, free RPG handouts and maps. So they do a bunch of really high quality free downloads for Call of Cthulhu. And now they've got this whole section they're doing on Horror on the Orient Express. Why do I bring this up? Well, I saw that Chaosium has announced that they're going to be putting out hardbacks uh, of the Horror on the Orient Express adventure. This was previously unable, you're unable to find it because it was kickstarted as a box set, which I managed to get my grubby little hands on uh, back in the Google Plus days. So I found somebody willing to sell it. But this kind of came out in that transition to Chaosium working on Call of Cthulhu's 7th edition where the Kickstarters all went off the rails. Uh, hey, that's a bad horror on the Orient Express pun, huh? Went off the rails, get it? But, uh, you know, the Kickstarters were severely delayed. It almost looked like Chaosium was not going to pull it off. Some of the um, uh, the elders, like uh, Sandy Peterson and some of these other folks, came back into the fold to, to help out and make it happen. Well, anyway, the box set was out for a year or two before the rule set even came out. Uh, and it was really cool, but, you know, I mean, it's it's something. I mean, it's got, like, uh, fake matchbooks and all kinds of props in there. It's really neat, but was not available to the masses of Call of Cthulhu fans. And so now you have Horror on the Orient Express getting ready to have a, a, a new re-release well, it's going to be a two-volume set with a map. I don't know if it's going to have a slipcase or not. But anyway, some really cool downloadable handouts and stuff over at this site. And this is one to keep an eye on if you're into Call of Cthulhu. Uh, very, very cool site. So writerscthulhu.com. Check out those Horror on the Orient Express handouts and maps. 
And then finally, over, believe it or not, I found, I even found something at Imgur for you guys this week. Uh, a couple of short side quests for 5e Dungeon Scrolls one shots. So this is from uh, Warlock Works and a couple just one page adventures that I thought were really cool. And I'm going to follow this person on Twitter and, and, and see what else they come up with. Dungeon Scrolls one-shots over at Imgur. The final topic. All right. So for the final topic, this is all prompted by a, an excellent, one of many excellent blog posts from John Peterson over at playingattheworld.blogspot.com. Now, John has written a book called Playing at the World that has kind of a permanent space at my side table next to the bed because it is one of these great, it's like a history of the kind of development of early OD&D, how, you know, where some of those rules came from, the, the backstory at how Gygax and Arneson got together for it. It's, it's just really fascinating. It's the kind of book it's a great piece of scholarship, but it's also a massive book. So you can almost kind of pick it up and flip to any section and, and find some kind of interesting anecdote or something. It's really, really good. Now, John has also got a new book out that is on my Amazon list. I have not been able to, uh, I have not, you know, grabbed it yet, but I fully intend to called the elusive shift, how role-playing games forge their identities. So another, uh, another kind of must-have book, to be honest with you, if you're into the, the, the history, uh, if you if you love, like the history of gaming and, and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the, art, the blog post they put up is called The Origins of Rule Zero. And it is, if you're familiar with what Rule Zero is, I'm assuming you probably are, when I was younger, I always heard it as the rule zero being the GM is always right, but that's not exactly what it is. It's really more like if the rules are guidelines. The GM should feel free to change the rules at any time to make their own game, right? <clears throat> Something along those lines. The rules are guidelines. The you know feel free to change them. And what John does is go back throughout. Like the history of wargaming and old sources like Gross Tactic from 1972, talking about regarding the rules as a bare framework, apply them flexibly and modify them freely according to your tastes. You know, just to show that that rule zero has kind of always been there, but it's still really interesting to see the origins of it and then on through how it's phrased through games such as chivalry and sorcery, villains and vigilantes and everything else. And it got me just thinking about rule zero, you know, certainly my earliest gaming, not just role-playing games, but even something like Monopoly, we used rule zero, but I don't think we realized we were, well, maybe with D&D &D we did. I've mentioned before, like, you know, I didn't start with the clear, concise, easy to understand BX rules that are, you know, so in vogue again now. I started with first edition where everything, even some of the crucial rules are kind of spread out throughout different books, hard to find, not under a, an easy to find heading. I mean, it's one of the great things about the 1E DMG is that it's so inscrutable and, and strange and bizarre, uh, but it, it does not make for a, a well laid out uh, 
reference material, you know, reference work. So we didn't play by hardly any rules, you know, by hardly any of the official rules. Uh, so we were we were doing rule zero before we even before we even do what it was. I also thought about Monopoly was a, was another game that uh, only a few years ago did I read an article, you know, because you read just enough of the rules of some of these games to get up and running. And that's what it was with Monopoly, apparently, because just a few years ago, I read that uh, a rule that I never knew, and apparently a lot of people didn't know, where if if someone lands on a property and they, they don't want to buy it, that property goes up to auction. You know, we were always played it where you can't buy something unless you land on the property. And so every Monopoly game, we give up because it's lasted for hours and, you know, waiting on everybody to, to land on a space. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who played it wrong, but we played it wrong every time. Every group of people I ever played it with when we were when I was younger, I haven't played it in years. But point is, you might be using Rule Zero without even knowing it. But then I was thinking about my own experience with Rule Zero. Like, you know, as I got older, the more games I ran, I always mess with the rules. The only game I can think of that I actually play completely by the book for some weird reason is Castles and Crusades. And it's no other reason other than the, the rules. Every rule seems to fit that game right. Like, if I'm playing Castle Crusades, I play it. I use I use everything in Castles Crusades just by the book. That's the only game I can think of like that. Everything else, from Call of Cthulhu to Star Wars, there's always something that I change. Um, a lot of the times without having ever played it, just having read the book, there's something that just didn't click with me and automatically change it. When I sit down to an old school D&D game, I automatically assume that the GM is going to do something different than the way I do it and different than the, you know, than the book. Um, I, I do, you know, that's not always the case. I do sit at plenty of uh, BX tables that play BX, you know, that play it exactly as written. Very few, if any, I don't think I've ever, there's, there's only a couple of people that I've even heard of that, that try to play 1E exactly as written with segments and everything else. Um, but what, what it got me thinking about is, it's something that I assume with old school games, something certainly that no matter what the game just comes naturally to me, but it's something that seems, is it a lost art? Is it something that's going away somewhere? I didn't play third edition when it came out, but I've since played it numerous times and Pathfinder. And I don't see a lot of bending of rules in those games. Now, granted, some of it is society games, organized play, whatever else, but even the games that aren't, there's almost a real stringent stringency to the rules to where you even hear players say, oh, no, that's not how this works. This Remember, this check does this or this does this. And, I, and, and the, the GM agrees with them. And it's exactly what the book says. You know, that's the assumption. Um, now, I don't know if, you know, I'm sure part of it might be that someone has spent all this time to get this specific effect and the characters are so complicated that that uh, it wouldn't, they don't feel like it would be fair if they're not able to use their trick or whatever it is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Part of it too, though, maybe it's just with the, 
I don't know. Maybe it's with the complexity of the rules or the the clarity of the complex rules in some of these books that there's just an assumption you're going to follow them. I'm not really sure. S same way with fifth edition. I do. Ha I have sat at a couple of tables that made their own house rules and everything, but almost everybody, and I've played in a lot of games, and I know it's still anecdotal, but almost everybody plays it by the book. Uh, I don't even see very many of the optional rules from the DMG in games, you know, even ones that are kind of have that sort of approval. Um, now, again, could be completely anecdotal, and I probably sound like an old grognard or something saying it. But that's what my question is for listeners this week, and I'd love to hear you call in. Is Rule Zero something you saw that, 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 that free ability to just change rules as you see fit uh, is that something that's kind of evaporating? Is that something that's um, that you just don't see as much anymore? Um, think about the games that you sit down in that aren't necessarily old school D and D. Are people playing everything exactly by the book, or is that uh, is that game what what uh, John refers to here as the gamer's first law, the foundation and mainstay? of all fantasy role play, uh, like in RuneQuest, take these portion of the rules, take the portion of the rules you can use and ignore the rest. Like any fantasy role play system, these can only be guidelines, use them as they will. Uh, is that attitude, you know, like a fossil, like for, like froth? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but anyway. You can call in on the Anchor app or at anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Let me know about your experiences with rule zero and let me know if it is a dying art to use the rules simply as rough guidelines to be discarded as you see fit. Outro. All right. Well, that is the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you very much for checking it out. Huge thanks to Logan Dean from the company RPG for coming by joining the zine club and talking to us logan wish you the best of luck with zine quest three want to give a huge shout out to the folks back of me on patreon patreon.com forward slash thought eater it's the froth drive only a dollar a month i want to give a special shout to uh the folks back of me at the five dollar level uh crumblingkeep.com check it out adventures, blog, professional DM services, crumblingkeep.com. Also, Rob C., Down in a Heap, one of the only podcasts I can stand to listen to, Down in a Heap. Of course, Jason at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Jason has forgotten more about RPGs than Froth may ever know. And I'm waiting on y'all to give me some suggestions. At the $5 level, people can give me suggestions for 5-Minute Fridays. So if you want to make it interactive that way, be sure and check that out. Patreon.com forward slash thought eater. Huge thanks to the bloggers, cartographers, zine creators, everybody in this great hobby that gives me something to talk about every week. Remember that all of the stuff that I talked about, all the links are up for you at the thought eater blog. Be sure and check that out. Also under the outro tab, like I've been doing the last uh, few hump day RPG shows, I've got some funny memes and cartoons and stuff that I spotted over the week. Be sure and check those out. 
Next, you will hear from me it is a five-minute Friday. I'm still thinking of what that's going to be all about, so we will see. I'm trying to think if there is anything else. Oh, if you've got any kind of comments or anything, I love people to call in. Go to anchor.fm forward slash thought eater. Use the message button and let me know what you think about any of the topics on the show, especially that rule zero, though. I know some people have got something to say about that. I think that's everything, so have a great rest of the week. Logan, let's go! Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom,